So Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we're just going to read the story uh, together this morning. Page 702, if you grab one of our Bibles. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you will not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of me, you evil spirit. When Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. It's a bummer. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened, both to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but he said, he said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Welcome back from Thanksgiving. Yeah, we're going to be talking about, you know, the story of demons. No, just, so uh, there's a uh, I love, I love this story, but I don't want us to get caught up in certain aspects uh, of this story. As I was reading it this week, I, I was kind of realizing this story has much more to do with the heart transformation of this man uh, than it does of the demonic. And I, I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, there's two equal and opposite errors uh, into which people can fall about the devils or the enemy or demons. Uh, one is to disbelieve in their existence And the other is to believe and have an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So if you have questions about that, email DaveClayton at Hotmail.com. He'll he'll be happy to answer uh, any questions you have. But this morning, uh, what we're going to be looking looking at and studying is uh, just the life of a man, a life propelled by God's mercy and by God's grace. Uh, That's what we're going to be looking at. And as I studied that, over the last couple of weeks, I really saw kind of three elements of a life like this uh, come to life for me, uh, come to life for me. And so uh, a life propelled by God's mercy and grace, uh, that's what we're going to be looking at and seeing in this story and in this man. Um, I think it's important to kind of understand, we don't want to assume anyone knows, hey, what's God's mercy and what's God's grace? And so I just wanted to give a quick definition before we dive into it. Uh, what those are, what those actually mean. And so God does not give us what we deserve. God does not give us what we deserve. This is God's mercy. He not only does this, but he showers us and gives us like his love and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. 
This is God's grace. And not only his mercy, but his grace. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning, a life propelled by mercy and grace. And uh, kind of this first element, this first element we're going to look at, uh, number one, is it begins with a willingness to offer a broken self. It just begins with a willingness uh, to offer a broken self. And it's so backwards. I mean, I was thinking about this. It's just so backwards from uh, anything else we encounter in this world and in this life. Um, Where else does your knowledge of how unqualified you are actually make you qualified? I was thinking, what, what if instead on a job application filling out all of your best qualities, you started listing off all of your worst qualities. Like, oh yeah, I'm not very organized. I don't work well with others. Uh, I have a very short temper. Uh, I take advantage of those around me. Oh, and by the way, I'm pretty close-minded and rude. Yeah, no, it's like that's, that's not how it works. What we're trained to do is present ourselves in the very best way possible. And so, you know, we get a degree, we get a master's, and uh, all of our life is turned into uh, this game of just presenting ourselves uh, to others in the very best way possible uh, that we can. It's a game we all play, you know, it's like we kind of put on the smile and uh, we act like we have few things figured out and uh, we're good most of the time. I know I play it pretty often. I was thinking, when is somebody going to like create an app or a website that timelines our very worst moments as human beings? Like, yeah, I woke out of bed today looking pretty nasty, gonna take some work before I uh, head out the door. Oh yeah, man, just, just yelled at my wife, uh, treated her not very well, um, pretty rude. No, no one's ever going to create this app on an iPhone and if they did, they're not going to make a lot of money. Like, no, that's, that's, just, that's just not going to happen. And I was reflecting upon God in, in light of this kind of workplace, uh, bringing yourself uh, as presentable. And God, um, God, he wants everyone. Like, that's, that's who he is. Like, those with the very worst resumes, those with the very best resumes, those that would not be accepted anywhere else, God wants. And I know... Like, we all are broken in some sense, or we have been, or we will be. Uh, whether it's, you know, your parents going through a divorce, maybe you going through a divorce, maybe it's um, this place of brokenness, this addiction uh, that you've had and you cannot seem uh, to shake uh, year after year after year. It's this cloud of depression uh, that's been on you uh, that you just never think is going to leave. It's like we all have been broken or we all will be broken at some point. And I love, we look at this man and we see, like, what, what does he do? Like, what does this man do in his broken, imperfect state? Let's turn back to chapter 5, verse 6, and read this together. Verse 6, it says, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He ran and fell on his knees in front of Jesus. He didn't, he didn't do a whole lot. Like, and we will see as this story continues that that's all God, that's all Jesus needed him to do was to simply present his broken self at Jesus' feet. It's so counterintuitive though. It's like, how often are we willing to ask help from someone else? We don't wanna do it. We wanna do it on our own. But this is all Jesus needed him to do was to present his broken, imperfect self at his feet. This is what he does, and I really think this is what God desires for us to do time and time again, 
to present ourselves broken and imperfect at Jesus' feet so he can bring us peace, so that he can bring us life. Kind of brings us to the second element of this life uh, propelled by mercy and grace. Uh, Two, it's made possible by a willing and able Savior. It's made possible by a willing and able Savior. Let's just take a look at how willing Jesus was uh, to bring, uh, bring about freedom, to bring about life in this man's life. First of all, like this city, uh, this region, was a place that no one would ever have wanted to go. You know, it's like the Knoxville, Tennessee of ancient times. No, I'm just kidding, but seriously. <laughs> at this point in time, uh, you know, we can get into all the technicalities, but at this point in time, uh, due to ancient Jewish law, pigs were considered the worst animal on the face of earth. So kind of like cats today. Like no one wanted to be around them. Uh, no one wanted to be near them. You didn't want to eat them. Uh, you for sure uh, didn't want to be around them. And then you for sure did not want to be in an area or a city known for its pig farming. So we gather from this story, this area, this region, there were thousands upon thousands of pigs in this area. And so uh, Jesus, if his like hometown, his friends back home had known that he had been in this city, like he wouldn't have been allowed back at church or the temple or in people's homes. Like he just would have been outcast because of where, uh, where he had been just in the city. And then let's take a look at this horrific man. I mean, this man is living amongst the dead, uh, not only sent to live amongst the dead, but he's chained up. He's chained up, but not even the chains will hold him. That's like how wild and scary uh, this man is. I just picture this with me for a moment. Uh, you know, Jesus and his apostles are sailing across the lake. A storm had just ended, so it's kind of foggy. Uh, there's lightning. And, and then all of a sudden, this naked, frantic, bloody man is running towards him. Like, I don't know about you, but that's like worse than any haunted house like I've ever been to, seeing this naked demon-possessed man uh, running towards him. And then we know from the previous chapter uh, that Jesus and his apostles had actually just come through uh, like hurricane type of conditions because in the previous chapter, we see his apostles were afraid of drowning. This is where Jesus calms the storm. So horrible town, horrible city, like horrible, horrific man, uh, hurricane type of conditions. And all of this, all of this for one, for one man. Like that's, this is like dumbfounded me this week. Um, all of this for one man, because we see in verse 18 that he gets back in the boat and he leaves. Like all of this for one person. And I was talking about this with Isaac a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus, like Jesus being God, knows all. So even before he got in the boat, even before he got in the boat to go through the hurricane, to encounter this man, to go to this city, he knew he was gonna save one person, bring one person freedom. Willing, a willing savior, you know, that's great and all. Like, unless someone is actually able, willing can only go so far. Uh, and I love the fact that Jesus is not only willing, but he is able, he has the power, uh, he has the ability to bring this man freedom. It's like what we studied two weeks ago when Amos taught in Ephesians 3, uh, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Uh, when we read this story, we see that Jesus, he doesn't really have to say many words 
or perform some like immaculate ceremony uh, to bring freedom to this man. We see he does two things. He says two, uh, two simple things. One in verse eight when he says, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And the second in verse 13, he gave them permission and the evil spirits came out. It's like the second one, we don't even know if he said anything. He, Jesus just could have been like, all right, leave. You know, it's like that power, that ability. Uh, but all it took was a willingness, a willingness from this man to offer a broken self to be freed, to be freed and given peace by a willing and able savior. And I love this. It kind of brings us to the last section of the story. So the third element is this life becomes defined by an attitude of thanksgiving becomes defined by an attitude of thanksgiving. Let's read verses uh, 19 and 20 together here. It says, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I love, I love what happens here. Jesus, he says, go home and share with your family. Like, share how broken you were and share how good I am. Share about how good my grace and mercy are to you. And when he says family, uh, this doesn't literally mean uh, blood family or immediate family. The word actually means your people. So Jesus says, he says, go home to your people and tell them about the freedom I have brought in your life. And the very first thing I thought about when I was thinking about uh, going home and telling your people was Marathon. It was like, all of you all, it'd be like him telling, hey, go home to Marathon. Tell them like what I have done for you. Tell them the peace and freedom uh, that I have brought. You can imagine, this may make it a little easier to picture what happens. Uh, you can just imagine how just thankful and excited he was about his savior, Jesus Christ, because it says, it says he goes into the Decapolis. And so the Decapolis, man, this, this was just a word that meant uh, kind of a loose geographical term for 10 cities in that region. So it would be like Jesus saying, hey, go back to Boston, uh, tell all of your family and friends, tell your people all that I've done for you. Instead of just going to Boston, this guy starts going to city, to city, to city in the New England area declaring how good God is, just to kind of give us a picture of how far this man goes with his attitude of thankfulness. And one word that has kind of captured me over the past a couple weeks was all. If you look kind of in that last section, uh, it's just all, all the people were amazed. Not some, not most, but all the people were amazed. You know, even in a room any kind of situation, you're not gonna have people all captivated. Like, even the very best stories, some people are going to check out and not engage with. But every single person he told were amazed. And me and Brandon were talking and we were thinking, like, what were they amazed at? Like, why were they amazed? Uh, they just weren't in awe of nothing. And I began to think about this man who they had seen demon-possessed, who they had seen at his very worst, who they had seen in his most broken of states, and the transformation that had happened in his life. And you think about the way that he had probably been treated. I mean, 
we know the way he was treated. He was literally sent to live amongst the tombs. He was chained up by people, like chained up by those probably family members, uh, people he had known, like treated him in the very worst ways possible. And people had to have been amazed at how this God, how this Jesus treated this man. And I think like what power there is when you see someone's life transformed, how good Jesus has been to someone. For there is power in our brokenness, there is power in our weakness. I really believe that's true. It's like the words out of 2 Corinthians 12, 19. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is what Jesus says. And then Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. His life was propelled by the mercy and grace of God. One, because he was willing to offer his broken self. Two, because there was a willing and able savior that was there to bring him freedom. And three, it became defined by an attitude of thanksgiving uh, or became defined by an attitude of mercy and grace uh, towards those around him. What I want us to do this morning is just spend time reflecting upon the mercy and grace of God in our lives. Um, I don't want us to get down on ourselves for being imperfect or uh, for being broken because there's power in our weakness. And so this is how we're gonna spend our time around communion, uh, just in light of thanksgiving, in light of just being thankful for who God is, for who Jesus is, and what he has done in each of our lives. And so communion, I really want us to gather around, uh, get with the folks around you, just kind of ask, ask this question, what, like where, where have I experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus? Where have I experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus? And for some of you, you know, in this room, you may not have experienced it yet. You know, this, you may be here this morning uh, and you haven't yet accepted uh, Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord. And so this morning, uh, man, there is nothing better you can do than offer your broken self uh, over uh, to a willing and able Savior that will bring you life, uh, that will bring you freedom. Uh, for others, this morning may have been just a reminder that you have traded a dutiful self, uh, traded a merciful God for a dutiful me. Um, you've kind of turned, uh, turned uh, your relationship with God into a transaction-based relationship where you do, do, do in order to be in good graces with God. And this morning was just a reminder of the power of God's mercy and God's grace. And so it, it's as simple as just re repenting, hey, sharing with the people you take communion with, hey, I have given up a merciful God for a dutiful me. So for some of you, that's gonna be you. There's something unique. Uh, there's something about understanding our imperfections that puts us in a unique place to encounter a loving, merciful, uh, wonderful Father. So that's what I want us to do uh, this morning around communion. I'm gonna pray for us, and then I encourage you, hey, grab two or three folks, circle up, uh, share where you have seen the mercy and grace of God in your life. Let's, let's pray together.